0: Hello and welcome to The Stockout. The Stockout is one of 20 shows at FreightWaves and this is the one where we set aside 26 minutes to talk about what's important to CPG companies and those transportation companies and intermediaries that serve the CPG industry. And I don't have a guest today, but I think there is still plenty to talk about. Uh, We had our big Future of Supply Chains conference last week in uh, Northwest Arkansas, which was a great time, very informative. Uh, glad to meet with so many uh, Sonar users and uh, prospective, uh, you know, Sonar users. And we had some great CPG content at that conference. So I'm going to give some highlights uh, on this show of uh, you know what I learned from uh, those CPG companies' discussions. We had Nestle, we had Unilever, and we had Tyson. Uh, we were in Tyson's. Uh, backyard, in addition to being in uh, J.B. Hunt's backyard and uh, Walmart's backyard. So I'll talk about those things and, um, you know, I'll give a little update. You probably might be sick of hearing about the baby formula shortage, but I can set aside the, um, you know, political stuff and and just sort of talk about sort of where we go from here. And, um, you know, I'll talk a little bit about some of the new data series we have on the the truckload uh, side and and just give a couple of sonar highlights. Um, So I think I can do that pretty concisely here. Uh, in in 26 minutes. Um, And if uh, CPG news and content, um, as it relates to supply chains and input costs, all those things is of interest to you, um, I invite you to sign up for my newsletter, which is sometimes uh, goes into uh, into analytics and opinions. Um, uh, All you have to do is go to www.freightwaves.com and there's an opportunity at the top to mouse over newsletters, and then right at the top under supply chains is CPG, or if you prefer, www.freightwaves.com forward slash the stockout. So I encourage you to, to sign up for that. And um, you know, if there's ever anything that I write that doesn't seem right to you, um, you know, based on what's coming across your desks, so, you know, out there in the field, um, you know, please uh, send me an email and, and, and let me know. What you're seeing, that type of feedback is always, uh, you know, valuable. It's, it's, um, you know, sometimes hard to know exactly, um, you know, what, what's happening in, in your shoes, uh, sitting in front of a PC. Um, so, topic number one here, I'll give a little bit of an overview of uh, what took place last week as far as CPG companies specifically, um, you know, was concerned, where um, you know CPG companies. Um, you know, that, that we had, you know, last week, the, the future supply chain, we had Nestle, um, you know, Tyson and Unilever. And really, um, you know, one of the main takeaways for me was just how difficult it is to forecast freight rates and freight demand. We heard that uh, from a number of different companies, including, um, including Nestle, including Convoy, um, you know, the, the, the big uh, transportation company. And they shared with us in, in a kind of an informal breakout session sort of where their forecast had been and where the where the market ended up. And I think this, it was pretty typical. Uh, you know, what tends to happen is when the market's at a certain level, the idea, you know, typically is, um, there's a forecast, you know, that the, the current market conditions reflects all the news that is uh, is known at that period of time. And so forecasts tend to be too modest, you know, either um, in, in one direction or the other. So, you know, the, the convoys forecast in addition to a lot of other companies' forecasts, they don't really uh, take fully into account any changes in market conditions, and we heard that from a number of different companies, you know, at the conference, including some very sophisticated companies that spend a lot on data, a lot on uh, on capital, on their IT systems to um, get smart on the market. And so, what some companies are doing instead is trying to get the the most up to date data as possible and respond to. Market conditions, and one of the examples that Nestle gave is they said that really the first mile of transportation is critical um, in terms of not having stockouts. And so, from the factory, if you know um, you know where your inventories are are getting maybe a little bit low sort of throughout the uh, throughout the country, um, you know, look at that data up into a real time basis. Maybe at the last minute, you can divert a truckload from maybe going east to going west instead, and you know that can prevent stockouts um, you know, on shelves. And so basically, the idea is to make supply chain decisions at a point in time that's a little bit closer to consumption if you can have data that's more uh, real-time in nature. So I thought that was very interesting. Um, there was also a lot from various CPG companies and others about automation. Uh, automation rather than using a, basically a labor-intensive process, use, using more machines. And, you know, a few reasons for that, um, you know, not only the obvious, which, uh, you know, machines don't take, you know, holidays, don't come in sick. Uh, you don't have, uh, you know, the inflation the way you had with, with wages and, um, you know, all the, the labor availability issues. Those are, are sort of the obvious things. But aside from that, uh, a lot of companies are, in addition to, to using machines as sort of a, a way to lower costs, uh, and maybe for providing some more stability. They're using the uh, the machines as a way to to learn and and basically using the machines as a way to capture data on their production processes and various things in in the supply chain. They, they realize, look at the the machine data. if it's slowing down, sort of why is it slowing down? Is it because certain inputs are not available? Um, is it because the demand is slowing up a little bit? And so really sort of leveraging, um, you know the machine uh, and, and automation to to learn something about the supply chain and 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 really um, you know we've seen this a lot with uh, companies that are automating their warehouses. Uh, a lot of companies are uh, you know having warehouse locations that are much closer to where the consumers actually are, and uh, basically the vertical you know warehousing you know if if you will um, you know companies like Blue Yonder you know companies that are doing automatic picking. Uh, It's really an an area that's hot in transportation and logistics. And the idea is Amazon has changed um, everyone's expectation of when a product should be delivered, where it should basically be an extension of your thoughts, and it should be in your house in a matter of hours, maybe later that day. And in order to do that, you need uh, warehouses that are close to where people actually live um, in urban centers. And the only way to do that cost-effectively is maybe to have a, a, a vertical warehouse And then, you know, on top of that, use that data to really understand, um, you know, demand trends and and positioning of of inventory. So a lot, uh, you know, at the conference on automation, uh, there was also um, a session with Unilever, who is, um, you know, of course, a big uh, shipper that uses a lot of truckload, also a lot of intermodal, also a lot of refrigerated and frozen. They have sizable um, uh, franchise in ice cream. Um, but they talked a lot about uh, their product portfolio and some of the rationale for for recent acquisitions. They've done um, a laundry list of acquisitions over the last several years. A lot of these were smaller CPG companies that were startups that had a certain amount of cachet to them. Uh, some that uh, I was kind of familiar with was Dollar Shave Club and Liquid IV. So um, you know those companies um, you know did something pretty you know innovative um, to sort of disrupt the. The, the industry and, uh, and acquired by Unilever. And, and I guess the way that I was I had been thinking about those acquisitions is, you know, had been uh, sort of before the conference is, is really kind of a way for the big behemoth to get into avenues for growth and um, to sort of hedge against the fact that some of those smaller companies could be pretty disruptive. But, you know, it really, um, it goes beyond that when you listen to some of the sessions at the Future of Supply Chain, where a lot of the small sort of startup companies, um, they're fine with their transportation, logistics, supply chain, as long as their uh, consumer base is, um, you know, at a certain at a certain level, where you know they're basically taking orders, uh, you know, putting them in a Excel spreadsheet, um, you know, mailing out the, the the items. When it gets to be more complicated than that, and to really expand, uh, you know, nationwide um, in a strong manner, uh, it, it's it's helpful to have. Um, you know, a strong parent company that has, uh, you know, imp- better procurement and, you know, better systems in place to manage all of the logistical complexities of, um, you know, a, a, of, a, of a fast, you know, growing business like that. Of course, the challenge is to uh, still have, you know, what made those uh, uh, companies uh, attractive to consumers in the first place. A lot of times you're doing something different. Um, they had sort of a, a look and feel flavor to them that was contemporary. So, uh, I think a lot of companies like Unilever have let the the founders um, really maintain a lot of you know autonomy over you know their 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 products. So I thought that was um, you know th- that was interesting, um, and, and I would encourage you to check out um, the recorded versions of the future of supply chain um, uh, meetings. There, there, a lot of those were um, you know fireside chat formats with uh, one of our journalists, uh, you know, interviewing a particular executive, and those are going to be up. Uh, later this week, I don't think they're up. Um, you know, so far, I mean, a lot of times there's a synopsis of, of 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 what took place, but you'll be able to see the full uh, recording, um, believe later this week after those are edited. I'll move on to the second topic here, and hopefully, not everyone's uh, completely sick of talking about this, but the baby formula shortage uh, likely to persist for several months. And you know, the reason I say this is uh, there's a, an empty shelf of uh, Similac. Um, you know, maybe says something about consumers also that uh, instead of having it on the shelves, you take a ticket, um, you know, given all the the theft that's taken place. This this was a picture taken from uh, Linwood, uh, Washington. Um, So basically, uh, you know, Abbott Nutrition says they're ready to restart the the facility. Um, You know, they maintain that uh, the uh, bacteria infections were not caused by their product. And uh, based on what the C, uh, um, CDC has said, and what the FDA has said, I, you know, I think they're right. I think, um, you know, I don't think we're ever going to know exactly, you know, how those infants, um, you know, got that b- bacteria in- infection, but the fact that it wasn't contained, found in any sealed products, the fact that the bacteria strain uh, that the, the, the infants, uh, you know, suffered with was not found at the, the facilities, I think, um, you know, speaks to the, to the fact that probably, um, you know, that uh, facility needs to be... Reopened, and maybe the government was a little bit too harsh in, you know, keeping it closed. Um, it's been down for about three months. And just in the past couple of weeks, you've really seen an intensification of how difficult it's been to get, uh, you know, baby formula. Where now nationwide, forty three percent of stores don't have it in stock. Um, it was just a couple of weeks ago that was about thirty percent. So it really took, you know, three months to, you know, go through. You know, fully the, the 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 inventory. It was a little short before the um, the Abbott plant uh, shut down, um, but was sort of still kind of within fairly close to to to, to normalized range. Um, but um, you know, it does seem like to to me at least uh, that the, the the facility needs to be reopened. Um, you know, I guess there was you know, that that same type of bacteria was in um, the facility before it had been shut down, and maybe that it shouldn't have been it at, at all. But um, it does seem like the investigations, you know, warrant, you know, reopening the the, the facility. And I guess my understanding is the FDA is allowing uh, some of those products to be sold from that facility, so long as they are, um, you know, the certain specialty type of products. So, you know, there are certain uh, types of infant formula that uh, are, are, you know, really critical for infants that have certain digestive problems, certain issues. And a lot of those were really only made in um, that Sturgis, uh, Michigan uh, facility. Um, you know, we do have a, 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 a article, an article up that Eric Kulis wrote about um, you know, how uh, Abbott and, and others are, are, are air freighting in. Um. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Infant formula from countries like Ireland, the Netherlands, and certain places in Central and South America, some of those have to be relabeled um, with with English uh, labels. Um, those coming in from, that the, were in Spanish initially. Um, but but still, you know, if, if ever there was a good reason to use air freight, I think uh, that is the time. And, um, you know, it looks like editorial is working on other um, reports on uh, the baby formula shortage. So stay tuned to Freight Waves for that. Check out the, the website um, you know, every day. Always lots of good content. I think we uh, publish about 40 or 50 articles a day. Um, so we'll move on. Uh, topic number three is, wholesale cpg prices up 35% since 2019 uh, that is quite a number and that comes from the consumer brands association which is um, you know the big uh consumer, big association industry association that covers uh, the cpg industry and you know, i've had them on the stock out before and it just sort of i think goes to show that, uh, you know, as bad as inflation has been for the consumer, it's actually been higher for the the wholesaler um, and, and the company buying it at wholesale. So, so for the CPG company, um, you know, in the April, the producer price index has wholesale inflation up 11%. So, uh, you know, even worse than what, what the consumers are seeing. Um, and as a result, As most people, I think, know, uh, CPG companies have had uh, a lot of uh, margin pressure, um, you know, in the last, let's say, year. So they've shared some of that pain with consumers, which suggests to me that consumers are likely to see prices march ever higher uh, going forward. And, um, you know, another sort of interesting uh, stat that Consumer uh, Brands Association brings up is 70% of CPG costs are related to energy and ingredients. Um, so you t- tend to think about, uh, you know, ingredients themselves being about half of their cost of, of products sold. And then you know, the other, other 20% could be things like, you know, packaging, transportation costs, any fertilizer that maybe goes into the, uh, the, the, ingredients and sort of, you know, one of the big, uh, inflationary components has been diesel. Of course, i have got a, a sonar chart on diesel and those have not come down any. Um, it seems to just hit a new high, even if it's if it's maybe flattened out a little bit. But diesel prices are up about eighty percent year over year. Uh, our um, journalist John Kingston has has written a lot on the site about how inventories are getting low in the Northeast, uh, which is a a big concern. And this is particularly problematic for the smaller trucking companies, which um, you know it's really bad if they run out of route. There's smaller trucking companies that run irregular routes. If they're out of route, they're not going to be compensated for um, fuel um, in, in those out of route miles. It's also really bad for uh, smaller companies or, or any uh, carriers that take um, brokered loads. Uh, you know, truck brokers are notorious for um, basically charging you know shippers a certain amount based fully on a fuel surcharge, not passing that fuel surcharge on to carriers. So the carriers can really get squeezed and. This is This part of the, the thesis that um, has been articulated on FreightWaves.com about um, you know, the bloodbath that's coming in trucking. It's really um, going to be most acutely felt by the small uh, you know, trucking company. Um, the large carriers um, can mitigate uh, the, the rising fuel prices to a large extent with fuel surcharges. So the large carriers are buying at, uh, you know, at, at rack minus a few cents. Um, you know, because they're buying at scale and they often uh, negotiate the fuel surcharges uh, based on a miles per gallon. That's actually not as good as what they're getting in the field. So their they're miles uh, per gallon and their fuel surcharge calculation might be based on six or six 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 and a half miles per gallon. And really they're getting seven, seven and a half. So there's actually, could actually make money on the fuel surcharge. You need to be a sophisticated carrier to do that. You probably need to have all of the Um, you know, newer equipment that's more, you know, fuel efficient and have aerodynamic features, all of those things. But, you know, some of the large carriers, um, you know, do make money um, on on, on fuel. And so I really think we're going to have sort of a haves and have nots situation in uh, the trucking uh, industry. Some of the other uh, areas that were called out by the Consumer Brands Association as being particularly inflationary, um, believe it or not, um, diesel is not the most inflationary uh, item. Eggs are up 161% year over year. Um, so it's basically a large, uh, the, the bird flu situation um, really having a big impact. I guess about 6% of the chicken population uh, had, to be, had, had to be culled uh, because of that. And you know, even before that, Tyson was having trouble with um, its hatch rates. So um anything that uses eggs in a, as an ingredient um is problematic for CPG companies Wheat up 85% um you know I think we know that has a lot to do with Ukraine uh, aluminum up 41% oil um those are like vegetable oils up 41% I've talked a lot about um that and how certain countries have gotten to be more uh, pro, you know protective of their own um of crops, what they're making uh, domestically, like, you know, Indonesia with their palm oil limiting uh, exports that drives up palm oil prices all over the world, which uh, palm oil gets used in a large um, you know, range of uh, CPG. And then um, they also call out corn up uh, 32%. So basically all these, um, you know, CPG uh, in- ingredients, you know, really rising a lot and um, don't see much evidence of, you know, that Cooling off, um, you know. I think we all hope that the Fed raising interest rates has the you know intended effect of cooling inflation without tipping the economy into recession. But um, does seem pretty precarious when you um, you know think about that and see the the, the stock market um, you know decline for what is it six or seven weeks in a row. You um, know, next topic here, topic number four is freight data is finally showing some signs of stabilization, and I have a chart on that showing the VAN outbound tender rejection uh, index. And, uh, you know, a few caveats here. When I say that uh, freight data is is stabilizing, those tender rejection rates have come way down from a high level. They they were over 20% um, at the start of the year. Now they're at 8.3. That's sort of within the range of what's normal. And, um, you know, tender uh, volumes have sort of flattened out as well. Um, but, you know, one of the big caveats is this is a strong time of the year where, you know, here we are uh, two weeks before we enjoy a Memorial Day. And that's when a lot of um, you know, beverages get moved into place. You know, a lot of packaged food gets moved into place. People you know, preparing for their barbecues, um, you're know, getting in the warmer months. Uh, a lot of uh, trucking capacity is taken up by very large items, things like barbecue grills, you know, things that you need for your pool, um, you know, a lot of construction materials move um, this time of year. Now that um, it's warmer and uh, we can we can move, uh, can, you know, do more construction for the next several months. So, so all of those things, I think, tends to lead to a tighter truck market. So that may be masking some of the weakening, um, you know, truck conditions. So um, it's something to watch very closely. Um, you know, May and June tend to be very strong months, almost the more more of the the, the peak season. Really, with with, with, with trucking, um, even more so sometimes than the, the the fall peak season. So, something to watch uh, very closely is um, you know whether that stability continues or whether that's just you know we're getting some help from, from seasonality. Uh, topic number five here of uh, spot rates are have fallen well below uh, contract rates. So, this is important for uh, CPG companies. I have a chart on this um, that shows the national um, you know, truckload index. So, national truckload index is one that we just rolled out. Um, in the last, you know, week, um, you know, at our conference, and so this is uh, piggybacking on the track data for those of you who are Sonar users and, and look at our, our Sonar Market Dashboard. We're getting that data from a consortium of uh, brokers, large brokers that are, uh, you know, basically sharing with us what they are paying for truckload capacity, you know, on a particular lane on a particular day. We're rolling that up into a nationwide average, and you see that the um, national uh, truckload index. Has really fallen a lot from about three dollars to about two dollars. The contract rates are in purple there, and those have held up. They have flattened out since March, and most of the CPG companies that might be listening to this, they're paying um, you know rates you know, based on that purple, based on that purple line. They do need a lot of capacity, and now it's kind of the, the question um, is when do those contract rates start to fall? And typically, you know the the uh, you know Consumer goods companies, um, you know, big shippers want to, you know, have a little bit more confidence that those, uh, you know, lower rates are sort of here to stay, and uh, you know, they may bid their rebid their freight, they may move their contract uh, cycle to, you know, something that's, you know, shorter. Um, what we've heard is that some companies want to get through the the produce season, and um, which is almost a kind of a mini peak, you know, season for a lot of. Of, of, of shippers, um, you know, moving certain, uh, you know, agriculture products in certain lanes, and then they're going to be, you know, more aggressive. So, you know, right now, economics very different for the large, you know, truckload carriers versus the small truckload carriers. You do wonder how long, you know, that's going to persist. Um, I think uh, CPG companies are still paying higher freight rates than they were a year ago, but that could change. And I think, um, you know, a few months uh, late, you know on, I show that, um, they show that chart. I think it's going to show something know, very, uh, very different. Um, you know, topic uh, number six, and I'll try to go through this uh, quickly, just have a couple minutes left, is class one railroads, I think, are looking to position uh, containers quickly. And I have a sonar chart to, to that effect, where um, on the left shows intermodal spot rates. Now, intermodal, not a lot of intermodal moves on the spot market, but um, I think there's information in this data. And the one that really stands out here, it, this is just a one-week change, is Dallas to Los Angeles, uh the, the rate moved 105%. Now that's a very deeply backhaul lane, but you see it went from about $1.10 on that right chart to $2.19. And the truckload rate approximately is that is that orange line that we get from truckstop.com. So now intermodal rate in that lane went from being way below the truckload rate to being above the truckload rate. So what that says to me is that uh, you know, the, the class one rails want to reposition that equipment uh, you know, quickly, you know, back to the West Coast. They do not want to wait for those domestic containers to be reloaded. If I'm a CPC shipper and I, let's say, I move goods from the West Coast to, to, the, to the center of the country or to the, to the East Coast, I want to be, um, you know, more concerned um, with, uh, you know, service levels. There might not be, you know, as many containers available. I want to have contingency plans in place, uh, maybe across modes, maybe across carriers. And it's just kind of a heads up that if you're moving intermodal um, outbound from Los Angeles, if, if, if the rails are concerned about getting those containers back quickly, you have to be concerned that you're going to be able to secure those containers. So um, I think there's a lot of, of information um, you know, in Sonar like that, especially when you sort of read between the lines, maybe consult a, um, you know, a subject matter expert um, that you have access to it, um, you know, FreightWaves, I'm happy to help on the intermodal side, um, you know, others, you know, the other uh, you know, segments better. Um, so that's really what I want to go over today. Uh, again, would like to encourage you to sign up for the Stockout newsletter at www.freightwaves.com forward slash the Stockout. Um, you can feel free to reach out to me at mboutindistil um, at freightwaves.com and uh, encourage you to sign up for the many uh, you know good newsletters we have. Um, just have a related one that just launched on Cold Chain that's being um, authored by Sydney Edwards. Um, and I think there's a lot of overlap between those who are interested in CPG and and those who are interested in in, in supply chain. So I'd encourage you to check that out um, as well. So with that, um, that's really um, the time we have uh, for today and hope everyone has a great uh, Monday.